Ladies and gentlemen, the Empire Podcast Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra is proud to announce a new member. Take it away, Mr. Amon Warman. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. vicinity of how you do it it's it, it went to the same school as that's how you do it <laughs> different classroom you wouldn't know it hello pod i'm chris hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of empire podcast spoiler specials dedicated to the falcon and the winter soldier thank you helen i forgot the name of the show the falcon <laughs> and the winter soldier what was that show that one with that falcon and that winter soldier <laughs> yes. i think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down <laughs> i i just got confused because there wasn't a lot of actual falconing in this episode unless of course you look at the end credits hmm did anyone spot that well we'll get to it we'll get to it anyway in this episode we will be discussing the show's third episode we're at the halfway stage folks of the latest mcu disney plus show the episode is called Power Broker. It is directed by Carrie Scogland and is written by Derek Kolstad. And joining me to discuss it are three colleagues of such lethal cunning who have all decided to spend part of their day off by talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Good Friday? No. That's a great Friday. First up is a woman who, it turns out, despite the fact they've known her for years, has been an insanely rich baron all along. Who knew? It's Helen O'Hara. Yeah, you know, I just don't like to talk about my vast wealth. Um, I like to yes, and resources. And resources. <laughs> I just, I just like to well, pretend. Of which there have been no hint. No, previously. well, it wasn't. It wasn't relevant before, was it? Um, so, I mean, okay, yes. You yeah, might say it was no, that good. I could have helped on several occasions with my vast resources mm. that they might have been useful to me yeah. to mention before. But I say no. Mm, possibly, it's only just come up. No. Mm. Ba, 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 da, 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 da. Look who's spending on everything. Helen's been rich all along. Uh, second is a man who turns out has been on the run for years, even though he was friends with one of the greatest of all of the Avengers, who could have cleared his name in about five seconds. It's Ben Travis. Hello. Oh, no, you've got to use my secret identity, Chris. Come Sorry. on, we've spoken about it's this. It's Sharon Travis. <laughs> That's better. Hello, everybody. It's Sharon, pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you here, Sharon. <laughs> Who's been hiding in Madrid pure? It's been Sharon, Sharon all along. <laughs> And last but not least is a man making his first appearance on the Spoiler Podcasts, mainly because it turns out that he's been in prison in Berlin for a while, but I busted him out to be on this show for, um, well, I, I, I broke him out of prison because of the, um, the, re the reasons. 
Look, shut up, okay? It's a Mon Warman. It feels good to be out, Chris. Thank you so much for that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's been broken out of Berlin jail? It's been Amon all along. I think there's a reason none of us became professional musicians. And I think <laughs> every week the, the readers get a taste of why that is. Helen revealed before this the show began that uh, she reached grade 8 in singing I know, as um, you can all tell uh, out of out of what <laughs> <laughs> how many grades are there there are eight <laughs> listen we're we're being deliberately we're being deliberately bad i'm choosing yeah. to hide my my light under several bushels oh i've just got like a whole stack of bushels because of all my cash <laughs> fat sacks of cash fat sacks of bushels that's me <laughs> anyway to the recap cave after an opening sequence in which we see a TV ad for the Global Repatriation Council, a.k.a. the GRC, we then see John Walker, a.k.a. Crapton America, and Lamar <laughs> Hoskins, a.k.a. Battlestar, come up against a dead end in their investigation into the Flag Smashers. Walker, who is increasingly un-Steve Rogers-like with each passing episode, does a couple of swears mm. language and yells, do you know who I am in the face of some poor schmo like he's just an Instagram influencer gone mad? Next, Sam and Bucky are in Berlin, having got an appointment to see Simo in prison. He no longer seems under CIA jurisdiction, by the way. Bucky being some sort of huge galaxy brain making all the right moves at the moment, <laughs> decides that he wants to go in alone. He and Simo have a chat, during which Simo tries to reactivate Bucky, only for it to fail. Nevertheless, Bucky agrees to break Simo out of prison, which he then does remarkably easily, given how dangerous Simo is. Annoyed to find this, Sam eventually comes around to the idea of Simo being free, although he does point out that Simo killed King T'Chaka of Wakanda, and that the Wakandans might want revenge. You want to store that piece of information for, for later on. It might, it might come in handy. Anyway, the three form a merry little band of sorts, trying to find the trail that leads to the new super soldier serum during the rounds. Simo also reveals that he's been mega rich all this time, which somewhat undermines his actions in Civil War, but we'll get to that. Simo decides that they should go to Madripoor, a lawless island nation near Indonesia. Meanwhile, someone that we assume is Carly Morgenthau's mother, Donya Madani, passes away in a camp for people awaiting repatriation after returning from the blip. Carly is very sad about it. In Madripoor, Sam, Bucky and Simo go to a nightclub. The Princess Bar, no less, a name known to fans of the comic books. Mmm... Well, they try to set up a meeting with Selby, presumably not Mark Selby, the Chester from Leicester and two-time world snooker champion. <laughs> Sam, posing as someone called the Smiling Tiger, has to drink a drink with some snake entrails in it. Uh, and then after instigating a bar brawl in which Bucky goes full Winter Soldier, they are invited to see Selby, a contact who may be able to point him in the right direction. After Sam blows their cover by getting a call from his sister Sarah banging on about that bloody bank loan again, another fight breaks out that ends with Selby being killed by someone off screen. Luckily, not before she gives him a name, Dr. Wilfred Nagel. Being hunted by half of Madripoor, Sam and Bucky are then saved by guardian angel Sharon Bloody Carter, what? who now lives in Madripoor. <laughs> she is off the grid, she is lawless, and she is, to use Bucky's own words, kind of awful now. And she's been on the run for years after basically breaking into a cloakroom and taking some clothes and a shield, which seems like the 
punishment isn't really fitting the crime here, but anyway. Without anyone around to clear her name, apart from all the people who are around to clear her name, even though she totally did the thing she was accused of doing, Sam Len offers to help clear her name if she'll help them out. Even though having busted out one of the world's most dangerous criminals and then swanned around the world with them on their private jet. If anyone needs to clear the name after this, it's going to be Sam and Bucky. <laughs> Anywho, after showing off some funky dance moves at another club, despite still being wanted men, they track Nagel to a shipping yard where presumably a giant ship has just been freed after wedging itself into the port. <laughs> While Sharon <laughs> fights off a bunch of goons, presumably the Power Brokers, Power Pack, maybe? Power Pack. Wow, they've grown up. Power Pack. Oh my God. <laughs> Crossover. <laughs> Sam, Bucky and Simo head to a secret lab and have a chat with Nigel. Sorry, Nagel, who admits to being able to make the super soldier serum with samples of blood that it's heavily implicated come from Isaiah Bradley. Nagel says he made 20 files, but they were used by Carly and co who stole them from the Power Broker. <gasps> <laughs> Finding a secret gun, place exactly where I would keep my secret gun, just under my desk, Simo shoots Nagel and then the lab is hit by an explosion. In the chaos, it looks like Simo has double-crossed him and escaped, but showing up wearing his new nifty purple mask, he helps free Bucky and Sam. Sharon then chooses to stay behind in Madripoor because if she sets foot in America, she'll be arrested, just like Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception. Uh, anyway, off they pop. Meanwhile, Carly blows up some innocent people. The Flag Smashers are moving up to terrorism, so you should be more polite. Walker and Hoskins continue to home in on Sam and Bucky's trail. And on Simo's private plane, after talking about the shield, Sam says maybe he should have destroyed it. Bucky mutters darkly once again about taking the shield from Walker. They go to Riga to follow up a lead on Carly, and are walking through that picturesque and wonderful European city when Bucky says he's going for a walk, which they've just been doing. Anyway, picking up a couple of very familiar looking beads, he is suddenly confronted by an old friend or possible foe. <gasps> Ayo, part of the Dora Malage, Wakanda has entered the chat and things are about to get very dangerous very soon for Marvel's brand new purple helmet. Now folks, because he's called helmet uh, and he's got yeah, okay. purple <laughs> Purple mask. A uh, lot happening in this episode. Yeah. lot happening in this episode. Mm -hmm. But uh, where do we stand on this episode? If I may, I, I'm still a little bit unconvinced by this show. Three episodes in. And it's only got three episodes left. It's not clicking for me for reasons we may get to later on. Yeah. I, I have some real issues uh, in this one as well. And I... Like okay, I'm I'm going to say it's the writing, but in fairness, like I don't want to just blame the screenwriter because, as we all know, these things get you know ripped to shreds and put back together and new formats and everything else. So it may not be the writer's mm -hmm. fault, but the way the writing is portrayed on screen is not good at the moment. I feel like we're getting people having very unnatural, stilted conversations because they haven't set things up earlier because there are so many moving parts that they're trying to establish, and you know that that conversation that Carly has on the street corner where it's like, hey, let's muse about our origins, shall we? It, it didn't ring true for a second. And, you know, if if the idea is that the Global Repatriation Council is a, a bunch of badens who are essentially failing, you know, taking from the poor and failing to give back to the poor in some fashion, we need that established. We need that to be clearer than it is right now because it's 
everything is clear as mud. Mm. And there's, of course, there's room for nuance and there's room for confusion, especially in a spy movie, but this doesn't feel like constructive confusion. This doesn't feel like our heroes are picking up on the things that don't add up and using those non-additions to, to you know, establish what the mysteries are. It just feels like chaos behind the scenes of a TV show, rather than feeling like chaos in the real world that our heroes are trying to make sense of. Because they never talk about this stuff either. They never seem to get into the nitty gritty of that. And this is what is frustrating. The characters are not dealing with the complications of the show. And we as an audience are therefore having to try and figure it all out ourselves from little asides that don't quite work. So it, th- th- there's still loads of good stuff. I still you know, love these two guys. Mm. I still love their chemistry. I, th- I think it's a great cast overall. You know, Obviously, it looks great most of the time. I have some nits to pick there. But mm. I'm just, I just want it to be more elegant in its storytelling, and I'm having some issues there. Yeah, but for example, I'm not bounding out of bed on a Friday morning to watch it at eight o'clock the way I did with, with WandaVision, which was so bold and ambitious and played with a formula and took risks and took chances. And I think that this is so far the very straightforward slice of MCU that we were probably expecting. I just wish I was clicking mm. with it and connecting with it a little bit more. Um, and I'm sure there will over three episodes to go. Yeah. I'm sure I'm hopeful that all these pieces are being put into place and I'm hopeful that it will begin to connect. But, uh, but Amon, you are new to the spoiler specials. We've talked about the show, you and I. We've talked about the show, you and I. <laughs> and obviously you were on our Sam and Bucky celebration episode. Uh, but I want to get your your take on the show, first of all, and then the episode. Where do you stand yeah. in, on Falls so far? Well, on the show, um, I'm still sort of excited by it. I I am one of that person sort of like 8 a.m., leave me alone. This MCU time, the vampire's playing. You know what that means. Do not enter. I'm that, I'm that, I'm that guy. And th- there's a lot of really sort of good and interesting stuff here. I think some of the setup is really, really interesting. And I'm like Helen though, and that I want it to actually talk about some of the stuff it's showing us. Because I feel like, you know, just to go back to episode two for a second, that scene, for instance, where Sam and Bucky are surrounded by police officers in the middle of the street. Great scene. I love what it's showing, but Nobody is talking about that. Nobody's engaging about what just happened after the fact. And there's at least two other scenes I can think of off the top of my head right now, which are exactly the same. And it just feels weird to me that we're three episodes in and every episode has been very distinct from one another. Mm. They, they haven't even begun to hint at coalescing, uh, which I think is, is a problem. And this episode in particular, episode three, felt like it was a mess and it felt like it was in a rush too often. Like I think about the scene when Sharon comes back into the picture. She say she saves them, great. But then she sort of you know, we stopped for like a good few seconds for her to update us on what 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 she's been through in the last few years. It doesn't feel like she'd do that in that mm. moment. They are on the run from how from half of Madripoor, you know, people are still hunting them. They're still in the middle of the street. Get to safety first and then do that. But because this episode in particular felt like it was being pulled in many different directions and they were trying to advance everyone's story a little bit. It doesn't give enough time to get into the nitty gritty and actually slow down and relax mm. and breathe for other people's stories who might need it more, like a Sharon Carter. Her note about heroism as well just came out of nowhere. It was prompted by nothing in the conversation. It just felt really, really staccato. And I absolutely agree. I think yeah. that's another sign of the same sort of 
tell, but in the wrong place at the wrong time, don't show. You know. Yeah. I'm still hopeful that things will begin to gel mm-hmm. because, you know, as I sort of said on the other podcast I was on, this is such, they're getting into such interesting territory here. And I feel like they are on the edges of saying something profound, but they need to actually say it now and address it. Like this show is about racism in quite, in quite a big way. The R word hasn't even been said and we're three episodes in. Mm. They haven't, they haven't even said that word yet. Come on. You've got to actually engage and talk about the stuff now. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful, but this episode for me was the weakest of the three by quite some distance. Interesting. Now, Ben, I know you're, you were more up in the episode. Yeah, I'm a bit of an outlier on this one. I completely agree with you guys. Um, everything you've just said, basically, I said it last week and I still think it was the case here that for me, there is too much of characters turning up and saying, this is exactly what you need to know from me. This is where I've been and this is what mm. I want in a way that just still doesn't feel natural. But for me, I've kind of come to expect it from the show at this point and it was still the case here, but knowing that that is kind of how this show's operating at the moment, I do hope it's going to move past that. But I was te- I was caught off guard at several points in this episode, and it started to push everything forward and push characters together and take them to interesting places to do interesting things that I hadn't really expected that it would. And I think I'm just sort of I've sort of come to terms with the fact that the writing for me that is the weak part of this show so far, and that was still the case here. But it was satisfying to me. I had no real expectation that Zemo was going to come into this show because these guys bust him out of jail and they're teaming up together to go on this mission. And as soon as it started to go to that place, I was like, oh, wow, I'm I'm intrigued to see where this goes because this feels like a really interesting dynamic and quite a fun dynamic. I really liked the location of Mandrapur. Weirdly, it felt realer than a lot of the locations (laughs) that they've been to in the show so far that are real places. It felt like it had a real identity and I was like, oh, I get what this place is supposed to be. Yeah. I liked Sharon coming into it. I agree her entrance was rushed and yeah, she's she's turned up and blurted out where she's been and what she's doing. (laughs) But at the same time, so far in the MCU, that character has been kind of such a nothingness Mm. for me. And even just to see her come in and have a bit more character, a bit more personality, see a beat up a bunch of dudes with a pipe was cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, for me, this felt like, again, as much as the writing isn't quite where I want it to be, I said last week, it felt like to me the show hadn't settled into itself. And for me, I still have a lot of quibbles with it, but it felt a bit more like it was relaxing into itself and letting these situations and these characters kind of start to interplay a bit more in a way that I didn't necessarily expect Mm. at the start of the series. Are we meant to think that Sharon's the power broker at this point? It's definitely a scenario I can, yeah. Yeah, possibly, but I don't think so. There's still a a gap in the credit sequence for for someone. Uh, I wonder if that might be the power broker ultimately. Do you think it would be? What what, what would... What would the show gain from that? What what would she well, gain from, I mean, from being a power right, broker? Cynically, it would be a way to uh, give uh, what has been a boring character uh, an unexpected twist, an unexpected amount of colour. She clearly has a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness at this point. Um, she's mm-hmm. clearly very rich, much like myself at this point. So, <laughs> you know, there's there's an argument there. I, I think we're at the very least meant to suspect that she might be. I'm not saying that she is but I think we're at least meant to be wondering about that. She has resources that she can call upon in Madripur. You know, she probably uh-huh. got Patch on payroll. That's a Wolverine gag for any comics <laughs> readers out there. I, I just oh, think I she's, uh, <laughs> she may be, you know, not just dealing in stolen art. She may be doing some more stuff as well. Interesting. Because that would make her a full-blown bad guy that, well, if she was a power broker. Well, we don't 100% definitely know that the power broker is definitely a bad guy. Do we? 
people are scared of him, but that's all. Or, or her. I think that's one of the things that I am intrigued about with this show, because I think more so than any other MCU property, three episodes in, everyone feels like they are the hero of the story in some way. And nobody throughout these three episodes has, rena- has remained 100% pure. And I include Sam and Bucky in that, given what they do at the start of this episode. And it'll be interesting to see sort of how they conclude that, given mm. what they set up in that regard. Yeah, I think that's part of why I enjoyed what they did with some of the characters in this episode. Like I said, I would never have expected Zemo to come back and for them to be using him for his own for their own gain and for Sharon to come back and to be maybe a slightly sketchier figure than we've seen her before to the way that they're kind of yeah, continuing to shift John Walker into being a bit of a badden mm. and a bit of a rogue, which at the same time like Steve was as well. Don't get me wrong, I love hey. Steve, but from a certain <laughs> perspective, he was going rogue against the system at various points as well and i want them to eventually get mm. to a point where they come down on whether these guys are good or not i think you can't have a show that totally plays in grays because it mm-hmm. is a superhero story and you have steve, to have steve stood up for what he thought was right yeah. that's not what walker does walker is becoming a sort of bloviating blowhard mm. and you know he's someone who doesn't you know that guy spits in his face and steve would have just taken it and this yeah. guy slams him against a wall I mean, the, the spitting in the face, I think that to Walker is like the very right wing way that Americans talk about the flag. I think he now genuinely sees himself, to some degree at least, as, as, yeah, as the living embodiment of the American flag. And therefore, any disrespect to him is like burning a flag. I, like a genuine, I don't think, no, this is not to say he doesn't have an ego because he absolutely does. It's not to say he hasn't mm. got a bad temper because he absolutely does. But I think that is a particular trigger for him. And it's weird to see mm. that because, as you say, Steve would never. I, I love the response to that, by the way. That guy is all of us. I know who you are and I don't mm. care. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's really interesting what they're doing with Walker because I think the offness of the character that we felt implicitly in the earlier episodes is becoming more explicit yeah. by the episode. And I think he's getting closer and closer to flying off the handle. I actually would not be surprised if he is a non-factor by the end of episode four. Because we've seen in some trailers and TV spots that Sam has the shield. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Sam, you know, Bucky is absolutely the type of guy to go on and beat Walker and get the shield, but Sam is not mm-hmm. that guy. I don't think he gets that shield unless John Walker is a, is a non-factor in some way. I don't way, think he's going to be a non-factor. I think he's, I think Walker is going to be increasingly, as I said last week, he's going to be increasingly frustrated with the fact that he doesn't have superpowers. And he he can throw his weight around the same way that 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 Steve could. You put him in a room with with Bucky, he's going to get his ass mm. kicked. You put him in a room mm-hmm. with Sam, might be more even given that they don't have superpowers, but he's still it's still going to be a fair fight. Mm-hmm. Look at the way that he pushes that guy. If Steve had pushed that guy, he would have gone through the wall. Mm-hmm. And I think Walker's going to get he's he's going to get his ass handed to him, and that shield's going to be taken off him at some point, and he's going to want to get it back. And I think there are still a couple of files of super soldiers serum yeah. knocking around somewhere, and I think he is going to want to to take them. And that's I think what's to, to at least some extent that's why he's so focused on Carly uh, and and the crew, um, mm. because yeah, you know, there's got to be other problems in the world that could do with you know this fake Captain America, mm. um, but that would explain mm. why he's as focused on them as he is. Maybe. Do you think that he's thinking that I at this moment? I don't know that or? he's he's consciously thinking it, but it, it's got to be. It's got to be in there somewhere in his head. I feel like, do you not? Yeah. Look at the way he got his ass handed mm. to him last week. Mm. By her. 
Yeah, I think I think with a guy like that, that's going to sting. It's going to rankle. It's, it's interesting also that Hoskins is being a bit of a voice of reason with him. Um, yep. So that gives me some hope. I think he might end up being, you know, a little bit more on a, of a good guy, I hope. but. Do you think he's going to get the, the, the old serum as well? Lamar? I don't know. No? I, don't, I don't see it. I don't think so. But, I don't know. Interesting. It's interesting. They haven't really established yet how much is left. Like mm. we know Carly took 20 vials. Obviously various people in the Flag Smashers now clearly have taken it. Uh, it. They've left that pretty vague at the moment, haven't they, of how much of that is left. And I think that'll be a big part of the series going forward. Like, is there enough to go around if, if for, for potentially John and Sam and maybe other people? They have said eight, but that's based entirely mm. on assuming that all the people that Sam and Bucky met who had the super soldier serum were all the people who were given it. So I don't know where, like mm. they're acting like eight is definitely the number. And I think you're right. It's That's actually not clear at all. They just met eight mm. of them. They know there are at least eight, mm. but it could have been given out 20 times already. But Carly does say she, she still has some. There were a couple of close-ups of files in Nagel's yeah. lab just before it blew up. Mm. Are we meant to infer that that was Super Soldier Serum? Are we meant to infer that that Simo's pocketed it? Does he have a master plan himself? He keeps talking about how he wants to destroy the Winter Soldier program and shut down the Super Soldier Serum, but that motherfucker's planning something, yeah. isn't he? I don't think I don't think Zemo would pocket it because mm. he wants to destroy the whole thing. Bucky, I could see maybe. Uh, maybe pocketed. I don't think either of them pocketed it. I think that was just his experiments have been interrupted. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I believe him that there were only twenty, and I'm I'm definitely I definitely think it's unclear how many are left. So there's a lot of wiggle room. If they go the route of, you know, having John or Sam take these uh, serums, mm. I think what will define their characters is the reasons why yeah. they're taking them in the moment. Because John, you know, as you say, uh, Chris, you know, he's. He wants to be the biggest, baddest dude out there. Whereas mm -hmm. Sam, I think it'd be more for protection and the right thing mm -hmm. and that sort of uh, thread. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see if they go that route. Although, you know, I wouldn't mind in a way Sam taking it or not taking it. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the comics, he, he hasn't taken it, but he's still every bit Captain yeah. America. So yeah. I could see them going either way. Either way, with it. I think it goes back to the Erskine thing, doesn't it? The Dr. Erskine thing. It, it amplifies what's already mm -hmm. in the man. Good man. Um, so if... John Walker and Sam took, or Sam Wilson took exactly the same serum at exactly the same time. The results would be radically different. One would still be our hero and our Captain America, and one would not. Yeah, we don't mm -hmm. need that guy being any more of a super douche, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> super um, douche. Interestingly, um, <laughs> the, the scientist is another reason to suspect Sharon Carter, though, right? So he says she was uh, he was picked up by the CIA after working for Hydra, which is obviously where she went after... Um, the fall of Shield, so mm -hmm. she would potentially have known about him through the CIA. Potentially, yeah. But mm -hmm. then, who were those dudes trying to kill Sam and Bucky and Simo? I mean, they were just you know in the, dudes in the shipyard, just dudes, just random dudes who had rocket well, launchers. This is another thing that was I, I was slightly <laughs> confused by. Like, who kills Selby? I thought well, Sharon. I thought did. Sharon did, but then there's a no. line that she says which implies that it wasn't her. Mm -hmm. But then. Are we not meant to? I don't know which, which line. She says something about blah blah blah. You you know you came here and Selby ended up dead or something to those to that effect. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I don't remember the exact. And I didn't take notes of the lines this week. But um, right. Okay. It sounded very much like she didn't know who did it in that moment. Okay. Yeah, that that's that's what I inferred from it too. 
do we think it's somebody if if Sharon is not the power broker, which I have to say I hadn't picked up on that. If that is, that's that would be something else that's caught me off guard. Do we think it is the power broker or somebody connected mm. to the power broker if Selby is gonna then start giving away secrets that the power yeah. broker wouldn't want other people to know? I think that's that I think that's mm. definitely meant to be the implication for sure. Um I, I, honestly I think we're meant to suspect Sharon right now, but I don't think it's meant to be her. But I I don't know. So I just thought that was kind okay. of interesting. Selby, by the way, in the comics is a large male mutant. Just FYI. Yes, we should talk about that real quick uh, before we get into the individual characters in this episode. So this is the first time we've seen Madripoor. Mm. It's the first time it's been mentioned in the MCU. Uh, and Madripoor is a kind of big deal mm. in the comics. It is a location that is primarily, I'd say, connected to the X-Men. Yep. Uh, Wolverine hangs out there an awful lot under his under his patch um, kind of nom de bloom. Yeah, there was... So basically, when I started reading, uh, I read a bunch of X-Men comics, and then there's a bit where they all have to fake their death, and Wolverine goes off on his own and has his <laughs> own adventure. So I read a bunch of Wolverine comics on his own, and he basically... All of those, like there's a whole run of about 50 of them, are him act- pretending to be this guy, Patch, who just happens to be five foot three and have claws. He doesn't pop the claws, so people <laughs> won't make the connection. Uh, and he lives in Madripur, and he runs the princess bar. So... Uh, ah, so it is the princess bar. It is the princess bar, bar yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because I did see the name and I was like, but then it go to a different. Pl- it seemed like they were went. They go to a different place, and I wasn't sure. I didn't. I didn't make that connection. That little shot of them going to a different place really annoyed me. Actually, so they go into the bar. They have their little drink. Bucky has his very cool fight, which I really enjoyed. But then there's like this really yep. slow mo shot of them walking through some stuff to get to a person, and I'm like, <laughs> it looks cool. Don't get me wrong, but we've already had them looking cool and walking through a shot. So what are you adding here? Just have a door open and then, oh, there's Selby. Well, the thing the thing that got me uh, is that they have the Selby confrontation, mm. right? Then they go on the run. People immediately frame them. You can tell this is written by the guy who wrote John yep, Wick yep. because immediately they're framed. <laughs> Contracts are put in that, at their lives. Excommunicado. Uh, they're excommunicado. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're running through Madripoor. Then Sharon turns up. She's very angry. Oh, oh, God, you. Ooh. She says she takes him back to her place. She goes, you guys are the most wanted men in Madripoor right now. Uh, listen, I've got to go and do some research into the power broker. And what do they do? They go to a nightclub. In that's, fairness, I don't <laughs> like, think they do. I think that's mean? her house. She says she's got friends coming yeah. over in half an hour. That's her, that's her, house? her house. So you can actually see yeah. the, the, the neon frame around the art in some of the shots down to the mm-hmm. dance floor. That's, that is a house party. She she, yep. she no. does say something to the point of like you know I'm entertaining guests in an exactly. hour. Um, it's entertaining guests, yeah. and then there's turning your house into some sort of you know drug fueled rave up. <laughs> I was super here for Zemo's dancing. I gotta say <laughs> yes. it was cheesy, but yes. I loved that. You see, yes. I wasn't. You think he'd be a better dancer? For two reasons. One, even though like you no know, Zemo, he was getting sort of you no know, he had a lot of super fine points with his jacket. Mm. Every super fine point he earned with his jacket, he lost immediately yeah, when he started true. dancing. That's so that's the first thing. Um, <laughs> the second thing is, Marvel sometimes do this, but I don't like that they have Zemo being so friendly and so buddy-buddy with mm. uh, the guys at this, at this moment. It is okay to have a bad dude be an out-and-out bad dude. Like, Captain America Civil War still had a lot of humour um, between uh, many other characters, but the tone of Zemo in that film was absolutely mm. right mm. for that film and for that character. 
by making him body like I I don't need to see this dude dancing. You just thirty minutes ago said that he killed King T'Chaka correctly. Yeah. This this is a bad dude, and you can have him still be menacing in a kind of charming way without showing stuff like that, because then that changes the tone of his character entirely. And I don't I don't need to see that. I feel that Daniel von Brühl, as I've called him in previous episodes, uh, <laughs> I feel that Daniel Brühl is both this episode's biggest asset and its biggest flaw. In in uh, and maybe not Daniel Brühl because Daniel Brühl is very very good. Okay, so maybe I'll I'll say Simo is this episode's biggest asset and biggest flaw. In that mm. this version of Simo is quite fun to hang out with, but he completely contradicts everything we've known about this mm. character so far. And this is really, really clumsy retconning. And obviously he's going to turn them at some point. And obviously he's going to be the big bad mm. of the show. And we're just waiting for the, the other shoe to drop on that. But I had lots of issues with, with him and this sudden revelation that he's Baron Simo and he's insanely rich and that he has his own private plane and a butler who apparently has just been standing there in the runway for seven years. <laughs> no, just in fairness, for the in fairness call. we had a similar thing in Batman Begins where Bruce makes one call and Alfred turns up in Tibet to pick him up. So like... Yeah, but that's okay because he's Batman. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but maybe Zemo's Batman too. Oh, no, I don't mean that literally, yeah. but... Yes, I'm Batman. But there's, lo- there's lots of things about him. Like how did they never discover that he was massively rich when they looked into him when, you know, I know they didn't have a lot of time to dig into his background in Civil War. But in Civil War, yes, we learned that he's some sort of special forces, Sokovian special forces dude, mm-hmm. which you kind of see when he takes out those guys in the, in the shipyard. But otherwise, it kind of almost violates everything we knew about him mm. in Civil War, which was this 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 lone wolf operative who went off on his own with no resources and was scrappy and inventive and took Hydra apart from from you from know within. just completely blindsided Hydra. Well not so mm. much within, but he he definitely took him apart from out of left field and he went up against the Avengers and he had no resources and he wasn't a billionaire and he didn't have all this this network of of spies to rely on. And now it just feels a little bit like, oh, you're just another super rich, super dickhead. I'm not so sure about that. I completely get what you're coming from because, um, yeah, in Civil War, I think it's really interesting that he is just this normal dude who has this vendetta and he goes about kind of seeing to that. The thing that I bought with this here was that he, as we said, I think in other episodes, he, he achieved what he set out to do in Civil mm. War. He yeah. fractured those guys. He fractured the Avengers. He got his revenge. He did what he what he set out to do. And he was kind of, everything he was doing was because he had this particular mission. And he succeeded in that mission. And then he's locked up for years, obviously, as a, as a result, as a justified consequence of his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you get to this point, I liked that they kind of referenced again that his whole beef is just I don't want any superheroes. I don't want anyone to have that super suit soldier serum because that just leads to situations like the one that got my family killed. Yeah. And you two guys, as much as we've all beefed in the past, you've just broken me out of jail and we're kind of on the same page here in that you guys want to find out what's happening with the super soldier serum. I don't want anyone to get it either. I have a bunch of resources. Like, let's... I I kind of... I did buy that dynamic because at the moment he isn't being... He doesn't really have any reason to be villainous because he's sort of trying to achieve the same thing as uh, as our heroes. I'd agree with that, but I don't think that's quite the same point, because I think that's... that Absolutely, if he has these resources, of course, there's no reason for him to hide it now, but it doesn't really fit that he had these resources. 
before. That's yeah. that's kind of the issue. I think the thing to me that signals how clumsy this retcon has been um, is the whole mask element. Mm. Like, if you're going to have Zemo's mask be a thing, you have to link that to plot, to character in yep. some way. When he puts on the mask, it means absolutely nothing to anyone who hasn't read the comics. It means nothing yeah. mm-hmm. to the characters in the mm-hmm. show. We don't even get a joke from Sam and Bucky about why this dude they've been running around with suddenly has a purple mask on his face, which is insane to me because that's like a given. That's, a, yeah. that's easy. And we don't even get that. That to me is just really strange. And just like, you know, we're going to give this to you because comics and, you know, we know that you, mm. many people have requested it, many people would like it. And that's strange to me because Marvel, the MCU, they don't, they haven't operated no. that way no. in the yeah. past. They've really sort of seeded it yeah. in story and taken inspiration from the comics in a really sort of, you know, interesting way, not just done it for comic's yeah. sake. And that, that just felt really clumsy to me. It's a really clumsy shortcut, I have to say. And I, I don't like what they've done with the character in terms of, as I've said, his background and all his resources and the loads of money and... You know, I think it might be more interesting for him to have helped Sam and Bucky without the use of a huge fortune or all these resources. You know, and we're meant to believe that it's just a coincidence, it's fortuitous that he has a collection of classic cars in Berlin that just happened to be there and they wouldn't be in Sokovia. There are also issues with the beef he has with the Avengers. I mean, this goes back mm. to Civil War and we talked about it, that his beef is with the Avengers for trying to, you know, for what, what happened in Sokovia. His beef really should be with Ultron. I mean, I guess ultimately you want to trace it back yeah. then Ultron yeah. doesn't exist without Tony Stark, etc., etc., so on and so forth. But yeah, his, his logic is flawed when it comes to that. And you're absolutely right. The mask thing just makes no yeah. sense. Like maybe try and, Oh, yeah, my great-grandfather, Baron Jeff Simo, used to go around wearing this mask. But the second he puts a mask on, isn't it just the same as one of the heroes? I don't I don't really mm. get where he's coming from ideologically. I don't even like, and I get that, you know, it tracks with him being Sokovia Special Forces or whatever. But I yeah. don't even like that he kicks ass because Zemo's whole thing, which mm. I loved, which I loved about in the Civil War was that he's a thinker. Yeah. And I would just have preferred him to, uh, to, to stay in that guy's, especially, especially because now, I mean, with um, Sharon Carter, I get because again, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Agent 13, okay. But it's now like, you know, Sh- Sharon's thing is that she kicks ass. Sam's thing is he kicks ass. You know, Buck- Bucky kicks ass and now Zemo kicks ass too. Like the whole, the, I, I like Zemo as a character because he's yeah. a thinker and he's a yeah. thinker to the point where he fractured the Avengers. Focus on that. Let him yeah. be that. You don't have to have him kicking out as well. I think there's actually, there is still going to be a lot of that there. I do think he is still, has plans within plans and wheels within wheels. And so I do think like there there is going to be that coming into it more and more. And we're going to see that a lot of this bonhomie was fake and was put on. I trust the show that much. I do think that's got to yeah. be a thing that's coming. Um, Although I'd quite mm-hmm. like it if it didn't, I mean, if I'm honest with you, because we're all waiting yeah, for it. maybe. Maybe the big twist is he's he's really straight and on the level, and it is something like Sharon Carter's power broker or something. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine who else it would be. That he's done what he set out to achieve. He did it mm. in Civil War. 
Um, and once he gets rid of the last vestiges of the super soldier serum, then he's got no beef with with Sam or Bucky. Maybe I don't know. But th- he he himself, Daniel Bruhl, is a lot of fun in this episode. Little things like his mumbled apologies when he first arrives in the garage <laughs> with with Sam and Bucky. The, the the you know the fact that he has excellent mask hair when he takes off his mask towards <laughs> the end. Just little quips, little things like telling his butler to give them you know to to give them the food to Sam and Bucky if it doesn't pass the smell test. Little mm. little things like that that he's got a there's a, a sense of humor the, the playing with here. bucky's chin when he's uh, when he's offering to sell him that was pretty yes. that was pretty great yes <laughs> yes but the circumstances around simo being crowbarred in the plot also feel to me like a bit of a clumsy shortcut in that you know i was going through my head we we knew that simo would be a part of the show and we knew from the trailer that he was out of prison so I was thinking, okay, well, how is he out of prison? Perhaps he disappeared with uh, uh, as part of the snap, and then he came back, and suddenly he was free, and so he went around, and he's building up his his criminal network, and he's going to try and take down what's left of the Avengers again. <laughs> Maybe. But no, I did not have on my list of options, Bucky just breaks him out at the first opportunity for reasons. I, okay, so this, mm. this is interesting. First of all, I think during the intro, you were talking about whether he's held by the CIA or um, the Germans. Uh, he was technically Everett Ross was with the Joint Terrorism Task Force when he was picked right. up in Berlin. So presumably that kind of army was picked up in you know I, I guess Russia. But anyway, the point is it it does kind of make a certain amount of sense. He'd been he would have been handed over to the Germans and imprisoned in Germany because he wasn't working as a CIA agent. He was working for this International Joint Task Force. But yeah, I mean, I think we're meant to believe or at least suspect that Zemo could have built up his criminal network or continued in charge of his criminal network from prison. I think it's one of those situations where, and this might be where the wealth is useful, where he has bribed a guard or guards to carry his messages in and out. I mean, we didn't see Bucky give him anything that would get him out of the cell, just help him to create that initial diversion. So he clearly has tentacles into things. So I'm I'm kind of mm. I'm going to allow a little bit of leeway in in the possibility that he might still have a criminal network, he might still be in touch with people, he might still be doing things even from his prison cell. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> what do you think of the breakout itself where one of the world's most dangerous men just waltzes out of prison? Yeah, I mean, I had some questions about how he got out of the cell in the first place. Mhm. Shouldn't. Yeah, same yeah. here. I also yeah. have mm-hmm. those same questions. Yeah, I have a lot of logistical questions about how, kind of how this happens and 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 why it was so easy. Um, my one positive note on that is that I liked the way that they did it, where it's, it's Bucky saying hypothetically, <laughs> if this happened and I did this and this <laughs> happened and this happened, then maybe we could get Zemo out. <laughs> and he's already yeah. done it. I thought that was a fun way of doing it. But the actual plot, I think that was quite a choppy way of showing you how he did it in a way that then you don't have to actually really explain how he did it because I think that method didn't yeah. really make any sense. Yeah, no, they have a line to the point of like, then things go and go to lockdown. And then right after that line, there's a line where we see Zemo leave his cell. If things are going into lockdown, then that cell should mm. be yes, locked would be down. Locked down. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Note to prisons, keep your cells you know locked. <laughs> we do see that he has a key but card. That's, when so... he, that's after he gets yeah. the uh, uniform from the guard. But isn't it in the book? He he opens the is book and the key card is in the, the book? book. I couldn't tell. Yeah, that's okay. that's yeah. what it was. But it, it's just no, Bucky giving the key, the key card. card. Yeah, he already has so Bucky the key just card. Helps with the so hang on a second. He's 
he's got all the accoutrement he needs uh, in his oh-so-on-the-nose Machiavellian <laughs> book. And and he's got... He, so he's already planning to break out and then Bucky just yeah, no, but happens he needs along. The, I guess he needs the diversion. I, I will be I will be honest. I was really worried the book was going to be the kind of Monte Cristo. So I was at least glad that it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's the... Um, he's the bangly bang Hunt of Monte Cristo, Helen. <laughs> What was that? The bangly bang of Monte Cristo? <laughs> That's right, Ben. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so many questions, so many little questions there. But uh, but who knows? Who knows? Perhaps he won't be the bad guy after all. Perhaps it'll be very much a case of from Simo to Hemo, <laughs> which is Simo hero, zero to hero. Oh, I, <sighs> I did really like as well um, the, the conversation on the plane, the Trouble Man conversation, where uh, Sam has to admit he's out of line. But he's right. Everybody loves Marvin Gaye. <laughs> I, I liked that. And that felt like one of the few times in the show we've had people just having a conversation about normal things mm-hmm. where they're not kind of just explaining plot or motivations to each other. And just mm-hmm. those little notes really, really work for me. Yeah. And uh, these characters who are so at odds finding some kind of middle ground in, in Marvin Gaye and mm-hmm. the way they invoke that little book. Um, I, oh, I, did, I hadn't realized before that it was Steve's little me book that, that Bucky's using. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're completely right, though. Steve, Steve adored Marvin Gaye was the most important and best sentence of the entire episode. <laughs> Um, I think that can all agree. Of course he did. Man has taste. Also, Steve. <laughs> Steve being like an inherently completely good person, it really makes sense that he's one of those friends who you'd say to, oh my God, you have to listen to this, listen to this song or listen to this album. And they actually would listen to it. If there's somebody who would do that, it's Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a guy. We should bring uh, him back. <laughs> yes, we should. Yes, we should. Although I'm, I'm increasingly less convinced of, uh, of a Chris Evans cameo. No. Uh, but it's, it's just not going to happen. But... You know, where the hell is Steve? Maybe Steve's a power broker. Ever thought about that? Mm, Ever thought about that? Mm. Um, Yeah, I thought thought some of the Bucky and and, uh, Sam stuff in this episode was a little bit on the nose. The whole, will you move your seat? No, you won't move your seat, will you? No. It was a little, okay, we've we've seen that, but but still, it was cute. I didn't mind that one. The one I did mind was the whole, this is is in every action movie bit, um, when Mm. they're sort Mm. of, you know, trying to break out the the shipping container and uh, I think Sam says this is in every action movie and that just that felt very on the nose and unnecessary mm. yeah I do appreciate still that as part of the character dynamic of these two like they are not working together and their plans as mm. as little plan as they have never goes right because they won't listen to each other and they won't kind of they're not on the same page and I'm excited for them to get to the point like we love seeing people do mm. things well mm. <laughs> and they're both yeah. very yeah. skilled capable people so I'm hopeful for the end of the series when presumably they will start listening to each other they will team up as the Falcon and the Winter Soldier hatch plots together and actually pull them off you mm. know it's interesting like in the in the bar fight where the Winter Soldier goes full Winter Soldier which I thought was like a cool fight really liked mm-hmm. it and you've got Zemo there trying to sow distrust and trying to make Sam doubt whether Bucky is stable enough to work with. That is something that if that is part of his endgame, uh, s- sorry, we should talk about portals, <laughs> he needs to do more of. Like, that's not enough to just, because if you just have that one moment and you're like, oh, you can't be trusted. But then they work together for the whole rest of the episode and they are able to have a heart to heart on the plane without Zemo obviously trying to throw grenades into the mist of of their attempts to bond like that 
doesn't work as well. Do you know what I mean? So it, it kind of, I thought there was, it was another one of these threads that's being left hanging and not in a decorative mm. way, just in an yeah. untidy way where you haven't, you know, clipped the back of the embroidery. Look, it got away from me a little bit. <laughs> again. Yeah, you fine. know what I was it's trying fine. to say? No, it, it, it started well. Um, <laughs> what was, what was the, the, the black eyer line? It started badly. The, it was, was tailed off by the end and the less said about the middle, the better. The better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but apart from that, you nailed it. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I I still have issues with the the Bucky and Sam banter, such as it is. It still doesn't feel, it it feels like approximations of cool things people say in movies rather than being dialogue that these two guys would actually say. Uh, especially Bucky's is really weird character in that he's obviously very, very 40s and so straight ahead and still very much a man of his time to the point where he brought Leia. Do you remember her from episode one mm-hmm. uh, where he brought her flowers and. Mm-hmm. On a on a first date, but then he says, "Let me just walk you through a hypothetical." He says things like that as well. well he could be educated and from the forties. You got more than just that arm in Wakanda, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that in a second. We're going to get to that in a second for sure. But yeah, it's it. Bucky's really interesting because Sam is making, I think. The whole series, the whole season, started off with Sam making a a decision that. We've talked about the show, and I'm on, I know that you don't agree with, and you thought it was slightly out of character, didn't you, that Sam gave up the shield? And the show feels almost a little bit like it's going through, jumping through hoops to try and justify that decision, because it's not the decision that the Sam at the end of Endgame yeah. made. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it out of character. I was just annoyed in that they gave us that moment in Endgame, and then they backtracked, and the way that Anthony Mack has been talking about the show and the interviews is like, I like he never ever at any point accepted the shield and that is just false in my mind. But when I take a step back and sort of try and, and ignore that moment, it does make sense why he's hesitant about taking on that shield and taking on the responsibility for many, many mm. reasons. Um, not just the race factor, but sort of sort of like, can I live up mm. to what you know, the, 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 the man, the previous man who held the shield and what he did. And that, um, you know, to me is very, very interesting and very, very human and very, very relatable mm. in many, many ways. I just you know, hope that in these final three episodes now, we get more of a focus on so many of these threads, including and especially that one, because that's sort of the really, mm. that's, that's the body of the show. Um, but it feels mm. like, you know, beyond, you know, the, the odd scene here, here or there, we haven't really gotten mm. into it, the nitty gritty and addressed the thing. And I think in the final three episodes, they're going to really need to zero in uh, on themes and maybe tidy mm-hmm. up things and, and take themes off the board um, uh, to, to give way to the more important stuff going forward. Here's a thought. Imagine if this show had started with Isaiah Bradley. That would have been and interesting. And Sam learning about Isaiah Bradley and then had decided mm. not to take up the mm. shield. That is a conversation. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, yeah. increasingly obviously, I think, it's not a conversation that Marvel's willing to commit to fully. They want to kind of, you know, allude to things mm. and refer to things, but not really necessarily, it seems like, engage with things. Now, I, I would love to be corrected on mm-hmm. that. I would love for this show to do a Black Panther in the last three episodes and really dig into some major issues. But right now, it feels like they want to sort of say racism exists and is bad, but without actually saying racism exists mm-hmm. and is bad. 
um, you know, I mean, luckily in this country, it's not something we have to think about because <laughs> apparently there is no structural racism well, yeah. in this country, we, according we to our example, government. We are didn't, didn't, didn't you know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I mean, it's it's genuinely like, it's not quite that, that sort of whitewashing or gaslighting, but it's not a million miles off at this point. It's like they want to sort of acknowledge that it exists without acknowledging it exists. And it's, it is frustrating. And I get why they want to globetrot and they want to have it that kind of mm-hmm. James Bond, glamorous, exciting, multiple locations kind of a, a globe. Although I must say Indonesia and the people of Indonesia look awfully like the people of Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> but at the same time, if you are telling a story about who gets to be the new Captain America, maybe a bit more time in America might be worth exploring. 100%. And I think it's interesting as well. There was that moment this week where um, for a second, my heart raced because they brought up the shield again. And Sam's like, oh, maybe I did the wrong thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So now they're pushing him back to the point where he's like, we need to go and get that goddamn shield, yeah. which I'm mm. waiting for that moment. And then he was like, we should have destroyed the shield. And I'm like, no, Sam, that was, no, that's not the conclusion. Go get the that's shield. That's interesting. That's one of the things I wanted to zero in on. The, I, I want to talk in a second about the impulsive decisions that both our leads are making. Uh, Bucky mm. in particular is just letting his testosterone make his choices for him. But Sam is also making some impulsive choices. And I wonder if the choice to give up the shield was a little bit impulsive at the beginning. But there's mm. also a really interesting thread running through this episode. You know, Sharon talks about heroism and is heroism necessary in Sam's declaration at the end on the plane that he should have destroyed the shield mm. is interesting uh, and Bucky also seems to have designs on the shield and Buck they're never going to let you <laughs> take the shield off Walker and be Captain America I don't think he wants the shield for himself but I think he wants it as a symbol of Steve mm-hmm. he and, wants to put it and- on his wall well, I just think he wants it preserved. I think he wants it honoured. Um, so I think he wants Sam to have it. But I think if Sam won't take it, he doesn't want it destroyed. But I, I think there is actually a really interesting conversation to be had about Bucky in this respect. And I kind of wish that if the, if that's what the film or the show is trying to do, I wish they would do that. Which is, if he is still the all-American guy underneath, if despite everything he's been through, you know, the sort of Godfather-esque, I believe in America, if, that, if he believes in America then that's a really interesting conversation, actually, and one that I would be interested in seeing on the show as well. If it was Sam and Bucky's ideas of America and a discussion about that through amazing action scenes, that would be everything I could wish for from this show. Mm. That would be incredible. Mm. But uh, this is the closest we've got to that so far. This is the first real discussion of how Bucky feels about his country after being a prisoner of war, essentially, in a for 60, mm-hmm. 70, 80 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if there, there is something there and there's a really interesting conversation to be there had is. between these two men and the, the show just keeps not having mm-hmm. it. It's right on Ugh. the fringes yeah. of it, which makes it all the more frustrating because it's just, they, they're so, so close, but not quite there. But going back to your point, Helen, about, I don't, I don't know that they need to be in America to have that discussion. And I don't know no. that the show needs to no, be sure. set in America more. I mean, you look at the, the three cap movies, or as you probably consider them, you know, the, the seven cap movies, including <laughs> the, the, the four Avengers films, uh, you know, the ones where Cap hangs around with those, those loser mates of his. Uh, <laughs> but the three right, cap movies, the only one that was set in America, and it was set right in the political heartland of America, yeah. of course, was The Winter Soldier. Otherwise, First Avengers, pretty much all in Germany. And, yeah. uh, Bit in London. Huge, great chunks of civil war in Germany as well. So yeah. Cap keeps going back to Germany. Why? Why? <laughs> so weird. No, look, I'm not saying you have to be in America to have that discussion, but, you know, 
stuff like Isaiah needed more time mm-hmm. than it got. Stuff like Way the policing issue needed more time yeah. than it got. And and we yeah. may still go back. We are obviously only halfway. But mm-hmm. um but but so far if if that's the conversation you're gonna have and again it can be had elsewhere, you're hundred percent right. You know, there was some discussion of, you know, trespassing across borders in that first action scene. There's mm-hmm. been some chat with Tories. There's been some chat with about obviously from Carly and, and from her gang about what America mm. is doing in the world. These are all good conversations and absolutely can be had overseas, but mm. they're less, you know, focused in on Sam's issue, I feel like, for one. It's interesting because, you know, at the same point by WandaVision, we were just three episodes in, we were just a getting a sense of what was going on and peeking beneath the hood. And we still didn't have an idea of the overall machinations of the plot and who mm. was the the big bad. And so it's fine to take a slow burn approach to these things, but this isn't a mystery box show yeah. in the same way that WandaVision was. This is a much more of a straightforward thriller. And I would like to have had more of a sense at this point with three episodes left of exactly A, what they were up against, B, what mm-hmm. they needed to do, mm-hmm. both of them need to do separately and together. So obstacle objective, how they're going to overcome that to achieve this. That's what Mm. I want to know. At the moment, it's still nebulous. Are they really bothered about the super soldier serum? Is that the main thrust of their investigation? Is it the shield? Is it Walker? Is it the flag smashers? Is it the power broker all of a sudden? What is the overall thrust of the show? Where is it going ultimately? Mm. Maybe next episode will finally give us that, that burst of direction that I think we need. Yeah. I am still kind of feeling that um, as much as I respect that they started the show by giving Sam and Bucky a lot of separate space by not ha- bringing them together in the opening episode, I, I still think that's kind of a mistake that to have an, a sixth of this whole story that has all of these different characters and all of these different threads that need bringing together to not even have our main characters together by the end of that first episode. Like, I think you could have done that half an hour in still giving them a decent amount of time by themselves Mm -hmm. but brought them together a bit earlier so you can get the other stuff moving as well because I agree with you Chris to be honest if you ask me now I don't quite know again apologise the use of this word but I don't quite know what the end game is of this series what the what the central thread is what the central threat is and it's kind of half doing the mystery thing of like oh everyone's a bit shady but it's not a mystery show and I think that's partly why we're not necessarily here going, oh, I can't wait to see what they do next week, because we can't really tell. There are shows, Mm. something I really appreciated about Game of Thrones back when it was really, really great, Mm -hmm. was that it was very, very detailed in its, its, if it was like a a board, if it was a game, it was very, very clear in its rules and the certain trajectories of people. And you could kind of project forward, oh, this person's going here and that person's going there. So Mm -hmm. maybe these people are going to meet and they're trying to do this and they're trying to do that. And this is how these things are going to happen. And I feel like it's all sort of unclear in this. So we don't really know where anyone's headed or quite what anybody wants and then where this whole thing might be going. But also with Game of Thrones, what was, was was amazing was that when there were there were twists, so you you thought you knew what was happening, you thought you knew who was going where and what they needed to do, but there were twists that came out of something that had also been established. Mm-hmm. There were ca- things that came out of twists because other characters had met up with a you know other characters six episodes before and had had a discussion which you heard, and you just didn't realize that that meant that X would happen now instead of Y. That's the kind of thing that this show is not really getting yet. It has all of these moving parts, but we don't know what anybody's point is and anybody's end game, sorry, um, <laughs> is. And therefore, like it, it when they clash into each other, it's neither 
you know, something that, oh yes, that feels right, that feels like what we expected, nor is it a twist because it's just mm. kind of chaos right now, it feels like. When they go to the shipping container to meet the doctor, Zemo kills the yeah. doctor. Yeah. And I feel like Sam and Bucky's reaction to that was not as strong as it maybe needed to be, especially on Sam's part, because the whole reason why he ultimately agrees to, okay, Zemo, come with us, we need a lead, is like, you don't make a move without us knowing. And, you know, they have allowed this guy to break out of prison, and now a guy is dead. And they are culpable in that to a degree. And it doesn't feel like anybody in the show is talking about that. That feels weird and off mm -hmm. to me, especially, you know, in assumedly a character that we are hoping is going to take on a Captain America mantle um, by the end of the show. It doesn't feel like the reaction to somebody losing a life while you were standing right there is what it needs to be. How do you guys feel about yeah. that moment? Yeah, no, I absolutely get what you're talking about there. Uh, yeah, it feels it feels like a mask be down this episode, and I wasn't, and there was there was a lot I yeah, liked about it. But it does it does feel like you know it, it, there's this feels like the the clunkiest episode yet. That there's mm -hmm. an awful lot about this show that hasn't been properly interrogated uh, for proof of concept before before they've they've started shooting the, the scenes. That feels like one of them. The the scene in, the the confrontation with Selby, which which hinges on. Sam getting a phone call from Sarah. Remember Sarah from the first episode? Well, here she is um, yeah. calling Sam at the worst possible time. Um, and why would you put it on speakerphone and uh, well, you know, he, all, she, all that sort of yeah, stuff? He's, yeah, he's literally a gun to his head yeah. to put it on yeah. speakerphone. No, so no, that's okay. Why does she want to put a speakerphone? Like people get phone calls. It happens. People do get phone calls. You have to put every single phone call mm -hmm. you get on a, on a speakerphone. Mm -hmm. And the show is playing fast and loose with just how famous Sam is, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? To the point where he can walk into this this bar. He's one of the most famous people on the planet. Presumably, he was part of the battle that saved the universe. Mm -hmm. People have recognized him in the last two episodes, but apparently he can go in here and pretend to be someone else and no one bats an eyelid. So, oh, anyway, I'm doing it again. He's wearing a different suit. It's fine. <laughs> you know, um, It is a dope suit. They, yeah, they, <laughs> they, clearly, they clearly suspect he is not who he says he is. That's why she asks him to put it on speaker. By the way, I, I did see a thing today saying, is this the first sign of X-Men in the Marvel Universe? Chill the fuck out, people. Here we go. Chill the fuck Here out. Here we go. Just because Selby is the name of a mutant in the comics, just because Madripoor is associated with the X-Men, even because the princess bar is in it, Jesus Christ, <laughs> just take a breath. Um, you can take a breath all you want, but Madripoor isn't in this by accident. So they're clearly planting Madripoor the same way they planted Wakanda in the past. So it's 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 going to happen. How long was it between mentioning Wakanda and Wakanda? Well, the first mention of Wakanda up? was in Iron Man Two, yeah, which is 20, 2009? 2010. 2010. Um, right. 2010. And Black Panther was twenty eighteen. So <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So that's the that's the time we're looking at. The first proper mention is in in Age, Age of Ultron, Ultron. Yeah. and there's precisely one year between Age of Ultron and Civil War. Yeah. So, but that's the thing about Wakandans; they have a they have a habit of showing up unexpectedly when you when you least expect it. And that's exactly what happens at the end of the episode. Oh. And this genuinely the thing that I'm most excited about uh, suddenly. Uh, where is this show going to go? Because you're absolutely right, I'm on. 
whether he intended to or not, Simo killed the king of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently no one else in that blast. But anyway, um, <laughs> and, and he's going to be on the wanted list for quite some time. He's not going to be able to talk his way out of that one, it's, I think. It's one thing Ooh. to be on the Avengers hit list. It's another thing to be on the Dora Milaje's hit list. Zemo's oh, days yeah. Oh my God, you just numbered. shit yourself, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Ayo, of course, is the one who went toe-to-toe with Black Widow yeah. uh, in, in Civil War. Move, so uh, she, she does not back down. <laughs> as amusing as that would be. Uh, yeah. It's going to be very, very interesting. I did not see Florence Kasumba showing up in Me this. Me neither, but it makes total uh, she was sense. One of the, like, I yep. should have seen it, because damn right Wakanda's would have a stake in this and be pissed. Even when, you know, in the initial sort of few minutes when Zima broke out, I was like, the Wakanda, Wakanda to me, especially the fact that they brought up the fact that King T'Chaka... Did you just say, sorry, did you just say the Wakanda Yes, I you? damn right did. <laughs> Better believe Obviously. it. The Wakanda to me was a little annoyed that Bucky went through with that. <laughs> I also noticed, Amon, that today you're wearing a uh, turtleneck in the exact same shade as Sam. Yeah. That, so I feel like you're you're very much feeling yourself that you is know, in the show right now. I can rock a green turtleneck to Anthony Mackie damn straight. <laughs> but yeah. You're totally right. I felt the same thing that like this character turning up or even just having like anyone from the Dora Milaje or anyone from Wakanda turn up in the show isn't something that I would have expected but this this show Mm. is able to pull off this stuff where you go do you know what this is really unexpected but it makes total sense it fits in the world it fits in the consequences of the actions that are happening in the show and I think that it's really exciting and it's it, it's fulfilling when you see this stuff pulled off like they do at the end of this episode, which makes it a bit more of a shame that there are other episodes or other areas of the show where that yeah. isn't quite happening. But mm. I like that they are connecting these mm. dots and that makes me excited for next week of like how these characters are going to interplay into what's already happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also it it's a part of Bucky's past that makes sense for them to bring... Mm-hmm back in and incorporate it into the show also. And it really will muddy the waters because now Bucky is clearly going to be trying to go, hang on a second here. <laughs> Don't kill him because we need him. Mm-hmm. And also I'm kind of your buddy now because I, I lived there rent-free for a while. <laughs> so we're mates, aren't we? And Io and presumably the rest of the door Malage would be like, Mm-mm. move or you will be moved. <laughs> and, then he's, and, then, and then he'll be like, well, I'm the goddamn Winter Soldier, so you try and move me. And then Simo was like, I'll just be over here if it needs me. <laughs> and then how Sam fits into all this is going to be really, really interesting, I think. Mm, she has every right to be like, dude, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, we rehabilitated you, you, you got a new arm from Shuri, and now you've broken this guy out of jail? <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm waiting for that conversation. Yes. Yeah. And Bucky Bill like, I'm gonna put him back. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I got this. There's no way he's gonna double cross us. No, no way at all. That's he's not that kind of guy. Yeah, he's got a code. The book of Machiavelli. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that line. I, th- I mean, it's a terrible line, but I kind of loved it. Um, he's crazy, but he still has a code. Oh, that's all right then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has mm-hmm. a code. <laughs> fine. I'm really excited about Sam talking about Wakanda more and interacting with more Wakandans. As I said on mm. the other pod, you know, he and War Machine, Don Cheadle, they are like two black Americans entering Wakanda, a secret black utopia for how long for the first time. They are going to have a conversation about that, that we never saw. And I really want to know more of what Sam thinks about Wakanda and of Black Panther and every, 
everything to do with that. And I think we, we might mm. get to mm. at least a little bit of that uh, with the introduction of IO. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And you get in a sense, I mean, as you, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, that the, the show's stance on racism and racism in America and where that's going to lead is very interesting. I think the show has an internal struggle with how much it wants to focus on that and Sam. And also it has to tell Bucky's story also mm-hmm. in a strange way, bringing Wakanda into it may be a nice way to tie all those things mm-hmm. together. So they all, yeah. you know, they all, they all come together as one, one nice big package. But for example, there's little, little hints in this episode as well. You know, there's, there's, you know that is still on the show's mind. There's uh, there's Simo kind of black explaining to Sam uh, or in front of Sam about mm. Marvin Gaye, which, which you know I quite liked how Sam was like, well, no, he's out of line, mm. but he's right. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's there's, there's Simo's line about Sam being a I'd never heard this phrase before. Um, and tell me if this is a phrase that people say a fashion forward black <laughs> fashion man? forward. Fashion, fashion forward, forward is a, a, thing? a thing. Yeah, yeah. Fashion forward. I mean, is obviously, a thing. I am it. But oh, obviously, obviously. Like, I don't. I don't even think any of us are it because even though Amon is well dressed, he's classically well dressed. Like, he's not going out there in like these crazy, you know, duvet ball gowns. You know, which are fashion forward. Like not Billy Porter is a fashion forward black man. That's true. That's true. I'm looking oh, I'm forward to waiting that. waiting for Amon's uh, Billy Porter moment. That would be I'm incredible. I'm Post lockdown, all rules are off. Like, all bets are off. It's going to be amazing. Once all the shops open again, I'm going to go wild with the shopping, guys. The amount of looks I will be serving when I come to screenings. Y'all ain't ready. Has Debenham's closed yet? Because if it hasn't, we can clear it out. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm not quite sure you're getting the fashion forward thing with Debenham's, Yeah, that's not Chris. fashion forward, Chris. Um, um, no, excuse me. They have the designer's range. <laughs> Hello. They actually have some nice stuff in there. Yeah, they did have some very nice stuff in there, actually. <laughs> but, but hey-ho. But yeah, there's there's clearly things, there's there's lines in this, and there's Sam's uh, righteous indignation about finding out what's happened with Isaiah Bradley's blood, that it's mm. been used and taken and, and misappropriated and, and used as the kind of the basis of what seems to be the Russian super soldier program. Uh, I can't tell still where Bucky fits into this. Was he, is he born of Visaya's blood a little bit? Is that what the, the, the is no. that what they're saying here? Or is he, does he predate that? He's predates that. He was, so uh, Red Skull was experimenting on him before Steve rescued him. Like he wasn't with the other That's prisoners. Right. He was on That's that. Right. He was on that operating table. Yeah. Which is so how he, he survived to fall which is into how that he survived snowy the bank. Fall. So the, the, you know, the, the Russians may have tried some more stuff, but I don't think there's any, sense that he was part of those later guys and also just Nagel's too young to have done anything very significant on Bucky so I don't Mm. think we have to worry about that That, you know he he was brought in after those other five winter soldiers that Bucky trained so he's definitely not Bucky generation again I I don't feel like it's 100% clear whether Steve is somehow and Dr. Erskine are somehow implicated but I I think that was an attempt to replicate what Dr. Erskine did, and that's what Isaiah Bradley and the rest suffered through. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, in the comics, obviously, this is one of the doctors who is responsible for what happened to Isaiah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that they used that name and just moved him forward in time or backward in time Ah, to the present day. Very interesting indeed. Helen O'Hara, if that is your name, and I'm beginning to have my doubts. <laughs> you know, I just paid someone a huge amount of money to take it from them. <laughs> if you haven't already, you should definitely seek out and read the Truth, Red, White and Black comic. It is mm. uh, a very, very uh, interesting, powerful and dark read. Um, yeah. But yeah, especially in light, in light of this series, it's, it's well worth seeking out. 
Before we take some questions from from listeners, and there's a lot of questions this week, uh, you know, I, f- I feel I've given this this episode a little bit of a pummeling. So should we t- should we focus on some positive things? Mm. Uh, what did you like about this episode? I Bucky really like Sam <laughs> Bucky Barfight. Fashion. Yeah. Everyone is serving Fashion. looks in this episode. I love Zemo's jacket. Fashion. Um, I I really <laughs> I I like um. Uh, Sam's look. I, t- I tell you a scene that mm. did make me laugh <laughs> when, when, uh, Sam is ordering the drink and then he sees the drink and then he drinks the drink. That entire sequence is comedy gold. I did, I did enjoy that. He takes a whiskey drink. He takes a lager drink. He takes a snaky drink. He takes <laughs> <laughs> that, that moment where he's like, mm, I, I love this. I love this drink. <laughs> it was great. I also liked, I think my other favorite line, uh, as much as I've said, I'm not a huge fan of some of the writing on this show. I did really like um, Sharon saying, I stole the wings for your ass to protect his ass from his ass. Yeah, that was great. I thought it was yeah. great. Yeah. Um, and again, just contributed to like Sharon actually having a bit more personality this time around. Like mm. I think Emily Van Camp is finally getting to have a bit of fun with Sharon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would Sharon really have to go on a run for the rest of her life because she stole something from a cloakroom? I mean, really? She did steal superhero gear for wanted fugitives. Mm-hmm. Th- yeah. That's quite bad. I mean, that's... It's not great. It's not great, but it's not something that's going to land her in prison for the rest of her life, is it? She probably would have been out by now, right enough, yeah. She would have been, yeah. She doesn't appear to have been snapped, so it does seem to have been seven years for her. So, and could Steve not have like just made a phone call? Maybe she didn't want to be found because she's gone evil. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, now she is the power broker. (laughs) A line I really liked, and I only noticed the second time around, is when they're running in Madripoor and Sam yells, "I can't run in these heels." (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that was great. Yeah, (laughs) that was amazing. And then Lamar Assault, uh, your turn, Heather. Yt Heather on Twitter sent this in a picture of Anthony Mackie with his top off and said, discuss that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's Helen, we defer to you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, he's been hitting the gym. What can I say? He's he's on the Marvel training scheme uh, that they all do. So fair play to him. Well done. He's done the work. It shows. Um, I I genuinely didn't think that the turtleneck fit very well as a result, but, you know, (laughs) no disrespect to the costume department, who I think otherwise have done a bang-up job. That was definitely some gym's gymspiration for me in that moment, not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not gonna happen for me. I've accepted this by now. My job my job in real life is to look at people who look like that and go, specimen. That's my job. I will never look like that. Uh, should we take some questions from listeners? Let's do it. Yes. All right, so at Fal Shopaholic, regular question contributor, uh, says, if Smiling Tiger was a regular in the princess bar, how come the bartender couldn't tell that Sam was an imposter? It's a very good question. Yep. I guess they do go to the lengths of showing that picture of him and it's clearly just Anthony Mackie wearing different clothes. And they go, oh yeah, I guess it do look like him. (laughs) Yeah. I did wonder if that was the bartender kind of playing with him. Like, I know you're clearly not this guy, so I'm going to make you some fucked up snake drink and you're going to drink it because you have to stay in character and pretend you're this dude. Yeah. I very much thought that nobody bought that he was the smiling tiger. Very much. Apart from anything else, he did not smile. So. <laughs> and he wasn't a tiger. So, not for two, Sam. Would that have made Bucky the, uh, the hidden dragon? <laughs> You can sure. cut that out. <laughs> sure. Hey, did you know that Sam didn't um didn't fly this week? 
No he Falcon. Did. Yeah, he was on that. He was on that private jet. Boom. <laughs> 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 no, but seriously, Helen. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is serious stuff. No, but he, he, um, yeah, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't do his thing, which I thought was uh, was interesting this week. Clearly, no one else. <laughs> no one else agrees. <laughs> no, 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 I think the fight was just more Bucky focused this week, mm. and uh, yeah, okay. I was I was cool with that. Yeah. Um, as Helen yeah. has mentioned, the bar fight was very cool, and uh, yeah, I did like how throughout the episode they sort of continually checked in on each other. That was a nice touch in the bromance of it all. And they're, they're building it slowly, uh, but mm. surely. The bar fight was interesting as well because uh, people were taping it and Bucky was acting very much like an activated Winter Soldier rather than James Buchanan Barnes. Mm. So I wonder if yes. that's going to come to bite them in the ass as well at some point. <gasps> yes, yes. I th- yeah, I thought you'd imagine a lot, of, a lot of shit's gone down in that bar over the years. No, that's uh, probably perhaps, true. perhaps a five foot three inch mutant. <laughs> Give it a rest. They're not turning up yet. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Although he yeah. could turn up before other people. Anyway, it would be interesting when all of a sudden done because, you know, he will need to sort of, once this whole mission is complete, go back to the States and, you know, clearly he's violated the conditions of his pardon in a big way. Oh, um, big time. So, and, you know, that, that's going to be sort of exhibit A of that. So exactly what Good consequences point. and repercussions will be mm. facing. Madripoor is a non-extradition country. It'll be fine. Like, like, ex-jurisdiction, be, no problem. <laughs> well, he's going to live there for the rest of his days with Sharon Carter. Oh, clearly. No, I'm, no, I'm saying like it won't affect his legal position in the States, or it shouldn't. What happens in Madripoor we'll stays in Madripoor. That's it. Okay. All right. But when I mentioned back at the beginning of the episode, if you cast your mind back to when that happened, it was a few hours ago, I grant you. <laughs> That uh, I said that um, I said something about a falcon. I can't remember what I said. Look, it was a long time ago. But <laughs> did you notice that the actress playing Mama Donya, who passes away, we never knew ye, mm-hmm. at the uh, at the beginning of this episode, and presumably we're meant to infer that she is Carly Morgenthau's mum. Maybe I think I got the impression foster mum. She talks foster about mom? all of us or something at one point. So I feel like okay. it's a yeah. All right. Well, the actress's name is Veronica Falcon. <gasps> so after casting head. Victoria Blade in WandaVision, now we have Falcon. So basically, I'm just going to change my name to Chris Winter Soldier and get a part <laughs> in, in, in Armor Wars. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to show up in Armor Wars because they need to cast people who sound like they're superheroes. Amazing. Um, yeah, I just I just noticed it in the credits, and I thought it was worth pointing out. I, once again, I was wrong, but but you know you got to get these things to go, don't you? Every now and again, sure. Um, Al Fallis shopaholic asks another question, which is: Do you think there is any chance that Denai Guerrera might turn up? I think if there were, she would have turned up instead of Florence Kasumba. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like that was the moment. So probably not, but I would be delighted because you know I'm a Nokoye fangirl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what Helen said, all of that. At Piccolo135, Daniel Gaze, with Bucky's list of notepad names so ingrained in his mind, is it possible Seema will use these against him to regain mind control? Not to regain mind control, but definitely to push his buttons. Um, Amen. Yeah, that exactly. So, so yeah. How exactly he pickpocketed Bucky to get that? I mean... Mm. That's interesting. Impressive, also. Also, it just feels like that little book is something that Bucky could have left behind. He could have put it in his in a little safe or something while he's off on his missions. He just mm-hmm. just carries that thing around everywhere. That seems like a dangerous tactic to me. 
How yeah. do we think that he got the book from Steve? Do we think that Steve kind of left it to him in his living will or gave it to him at the end of Endgame? Or do you think he's just kind of nicked it? There's an awkward outtake from uh, from Endgame where <laughs> after he gives the shield to, to Sam, he's like, oh, I didn't get anything for Bucky. I should probably give Bucky something. Oh, here, Bucky, have my special notebook. Here you go. <laughs> it would make sense if he'd done it after, you know, at some point between Civil War and Infinity War, but we just don't know how much of he's seen of Bucky in between those two. Mm-hmm. At 1987, Constantine asks, uh, after Bucky, Sam and Simo left the club, Simo ran off by himself and wasn't with the other two guys for a few minutes. Was he meeting up with a contact for something on the down low? There's also that, that look he gives when Sam asks, do you have any friends in Hightown? He gives a sort of enigmatic little kind of shrug. Um, he's clearly up to no good when he, when he can Although I, I agree he's up to no good. I'm not sure I agree about those two moments. I think the no friends in high time was a a sort of uh, slightly underplayed moment of, well, we're obviously not going to the nice place that you say is good to visit. Mm-hmm. So we're obviously going to low time. So I almost wanted a Garth Brooks reference there. I'll be honest. I wanted mm-hmm. a friends in low places kind of vibe, but we didn't get it anyway. Um, and when he runs off in the other direction, I thought that was him essentially saving himself because he thought they were done for. And he seemed rather surprised to see them when he, you know, he basically went the other way around the block, I think, um, and uh, find that obviously Sharon had rescued them. So he seemed Mm. uh, surprised, but not necessarily unpleased by that, I thought. But that's my reading of it. Do you think we're done with Madripoor or do you think we're going to go back? And I I have to say, as someone who's read comics for a long, long time now, I thought it was a Pretty spot on evocation mm. of what mm-hmm. that looks like in the comics. So that, that was that was a really really good thing. I, thought. I, I felt like low time could have been a bit older and grubbier yeah. around the edges, and less neon in old time. But otherwise, yeah, hundred percent. And mm-hmm. I don't know that we go back. I don't see that we need yeah. to. I Sharon's think, still there. Yeah, I yeah. think she comes out. Yep, me too. Oh. I mean, I like that they've planted this place that now exists that they could go mm. to in hopefully in future things. As somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't know X-Men. that from the comics, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't know that from the comics, it had a Star Warsy vibe to me. It felt like a sort of scuzzy town full of yeah. uh, rogues mm. and criminals in a in a Star Warsy sense. It had a bit of a Mando feel to me. Yeah, had a, there was big cantina vibes in the Princess mm. Bar. That's mm. for sure. Louis D. Strong, is anyone surprised that Cap hadn't already cleared Sharon's name? Yeah, yeah. Come on, Steve. Sort of the fuck out. (laughs) That could have been part of his worldwide trip, part of his time travel trip. Hand over the shield, give Bucky the little notebook so he feels special, (laughs) and also clear Sharon Carter's name, dude. You've Mm. got that power. Mm. I mean, he was on the run for the first two years himself. I get that. He couldn't do much during that time. But um, but yeah, the the five years. And then maybe he thought she was snapped because he couldn't find her. Mm. Or maybe he didn't look that hard, or maybe, maybe he, didn't he didn't want to look because yeah. he had basically just kissed her and then ghosted her, and yeah. then it would be a really awkward conversation to have. Yeah, and, was, and he yeah. still fancies her aunt. Yeah, let's he be does. honest, mm. you know, she was just a stopgap for him. Uh, so maybe he chose not to try and find her. Naughty Steve. Naughty, naughty, <laughs> naughty, naughty. <laughs> At Nile underscore Journo. Am I the only one watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier thinking who could be a sneaky scroll plant? <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought yes. about scrolls in this, but they they have done that in several recent Marvel things of going ah mm-hmm. this character you thought all along was this person is actually a scroll, and we know they have a secret invasion show coming up, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they showed somebody being a scroll, but I have no idea who that would be. I think 
um, because there are so many important players here, I don't know how many the people there are at the moment that you could unmask and say, ah, mm. this person was a scroll without it kind of undermining some of Everything. the themes and ideas that they're playing with. You've got to be very careful of your Marvel, how you use that gambit going forward. Yeah. Because if you... Gambit? X-Men! <laughs> Magic <Magdor. laughs> Oh my gosh! It's all connected. Let's make one of those YouTube videos that says X-Men confirmed? <laughs> Gosh, I hate those videos so much. During some wild speculation on the Empire podcast, the word Gambit was mentioned. Is this confirmation that Gambit is going to show up by the end of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? If you do that too often, then mm. it loses a lot of its impact. Um, yeah. I suspect that we might see something to what you're talking about, uh, Ben as we get closer to Secret Invasion, but we're still a few years out from that at this point. I think mm. it'll be strange to see any reveal uh, about scrolls in this show um, mm. at this point uh, when it comes, but yeah. Strange? Doctor Strange? <laughs> Doctor Strange confirmed? Question mark? During a period of wild speculation on the Empire podcast, spoiler special. I need to put my words more carefully, don't I? You do, which is exactly the sort of thing a scroll might say. <laughs> I'm a woman. Scroll confirmed? Question mark. <laughs> Is Doctor Strange a scroll? We asked Gambit. <laughs> At Sack Gross asks, does swinging between stealing vaccines and giving them to refugees and tying people up and lighting them on fire make the Flag Smashers morally grey or is it just sloppy writing? Okay, they were morally grey with the whole stealing vaccines and giving them to people who needed vaccines. They were in that Robin Hood territory, which is pretty mm -hmm. good. Like, it's a very pale shade of grey. It's a, one that would still reflect light and be suitable for a small apartment. Mm -hmm. But the problem <laughs> is, when you go out grief-stricken, when your buddy tells you you shouldn't, um, and then you decide to straight up murder people, then that's a much darker shade of grey. And if you're in a small yeah. room, that is going to make it feel pokey. So... Y you yeah. know, that that's where you've got to be worried. Yeah. Are we still is this the big thing that they were she was talking about in last week's episode that once we do this thing there's no going back? Is this and we did speculate last week that it might be the step that they're gonna take that they're you know, rather than being the Robin Hoods, they're gonna start taking lives. And that might be difficult to to throw your weight behind them, ethically and morally speaking. I mean, I, I thought that was just stealing as much as they were stealing. I didn't think it was gonna be murder. Mm. Um, I, I think that was just straight up murdering dudes. Yeah, straight up murdering dudes. <laughs> yeah. That was not cool. I'm struggling to connect with that character, if I'm honest. Mm. Me too. I think we got a, a, a much better look at her this week. I think it was interesting to see this really vulnerable side to her. And I think Erin Kellyman is doing a really interesting job of, of portraying that character. I, mm. I kind of gravitate towards her when she's on screen, which does make me wish that she hadn't just murdered those people because yeah. I'm sure that's probably what they want us to feel like, oh, like we, we connect with her more and then she does these terrible things. But like, I think there is a really interesting thing you could do with that character where, yes, she is not the villain. She just has a certain point of view. But mm. when that certain point of view then becomes like, I just blew up a bunch of people i can't mm -hmm. get behind that but i know that's a controversial opinion but i can't get behind <laughs> that point of view but like think about it if she'd just blown up the building she still would have been in trouble with john walker and his team and it, you know public opinion might still have swung further against her she would still be more kind of under siege than she is under she didn't siege need steven seagal <laughs> confirmed an mcu <laughs> You didn't need to straight up murder people uh, to to kind of raise the stakes for her. So it it really just does put her more in 
villainous territory in a way that is kind of disappointing for what we knew of her so far. Mm-hmm. Ben, ask, let me ask you this. Are you, a, are you a fan of Luke Skywalker? He's a good dude. How many thousands of people did he kill on the Death Star in the first Star Wars movie? Oh, we're getting into Clerks territory here. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it was Return of the Jedi where the inter- independent contractors were there. Uh, um, you know, yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying. Just saying, yeah. Luke Skywalker, Checkmate. terrorist confirmed. <laughs> this affable farm boy from Tatooine actually hold, actually hides a dark side, literally. <laughs> MRD one nine eight one. Do you think we'll see Sharon again in this series, or is she a one and done? No, no she'll we'll be see back her again. Yeah, yeah. She's got third billing, uh, the same way that Deborah Joe Rupp did in WandaVision. So she'll be back. She'll play as big a part in this series as Deborah Joe Rupp did in that one. At Bon Idol, do you suppose there's a reason Simo put his mask on for 12 seconds? Because <laughs> on, yeah. And he was like, the peripheral vision is terrible. I can't, I can't see anything. It's really hot and it's messing up my hair. I have got to take this off. I think it's because it looked cool, and when he blew those people up, he was like, I want to look as cool as possible, <laughs> so I'm going to put it on, and then blow that thing up, and then I get to have my hero shot, or, well, yeah. not hero, anti-hero shot, mm. uh, standing on top of the shipping container with my mask on. Yeah. Mm. Mm, I, didn't, I don't know how much I buy the mask mm. stuff at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Omni Shambles asks, uh, who we think is looking out for Sam and Bucky if it wasn't Sharon? Who was the guardian angel in Madripoor? I was operating before Helen mentioned that Sharon might be the power broker. I'm like, Sharon saved Bucky and Sam and Zemo, but the power broker killed Selby. Mm. Um, so if Sharon doesn't turn out to be the power broker, then I think it would be the power broker that killed Selby. But he's interested. The power broker, him or herself. Um, I was assuming it might have been just an acting coach who killed Selby. <laughs> this is a very, very good point. Uh, from at DT in Dubai. Bucky and Sam won't work with Walker, but Simo is okay. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, I feel like the entire audience is with them on that. Everybody's like, yeah. I mean, that guy, fuck that guy. He is the worst. Zemo, by comparison, sure, come on in. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel like that, that's very much reflecting how we all feel. Yeah. Look, Zemo's not that smug. He's, uh, well, actually, he's a bit smug. But he deserves to be smug because he had a plan and he pulled it off, even if it was a horrible plan. Whereas John Walker, oh, he just gives me the ick. Yeah, but he's given him shitty sandwiches from his moldy fridge that's been sitting there for seven years. What the hell's in that thing? Christ. Oh. Bucky's a super soldier. His body will work that thing out. It's Sam I'm worried for there. But that's what I was saying earlier on. I forgot to come back to it because I'm an idiot and that's what I do. But when I was saying about impulsive decisions, that Bucky's entire thing in this episode, in this whole series seems to be impulsive decisions. That He's going for a, a date with, with Leia. Then he just suddenly storms out and you know, tries to apologize to Yori, can't do it. He's impulsive in going to Simo in the first place, then he impulsively breaks him out, and he's just not thinking straight at all. You know, this he's is why he's Sam, brain. who's a little bit, little bit calmer. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit calmer. Although it also does explain why he was friends with young Steve, who never met a, you know, back alley fight that he didn't want to get into. You made him sound way more gangster than he is. <laughs> you in the back alley, always getting into trouble. It would explain a lot. At Gemt Hansen SE, did Sharon fake her blip? 
Did she claim to be blipped? Because of this thing, Ben, you did the feature for this, mm-hmm. didn't? Um, weren't you told that Sharon had blipped? Well, no. If you look in when you have those sequences in Endgame where they have like missing people or people who are confirmed mm. to be blipped, um, Sharon is she's in the background, but she is one of those faces that pops up. But maybe they think she's blipped because she's on the run and mm. nobody has accounted for her, so they're like, "Oh shit, she must have blipped." But yeah, she does seem to in Endgame at least among the people who were blipped out but there's no reference to that here and I feel like they would have said if she had have been gone for five years like mm-hmm. you wouldn't just not mention that and given all the stuff about blipped people having financial problems she probably wouldn't come back to that apartment she probably wouldn't have established that much in two years so yeah. it makes sense that she was not blipped very interesting and we haven't really discussed the the, the, the last thing I want to discuss in this episode is um, Sharon's pretty fucking violent dispatch of those blokes in the mm. in the shipyard where it does turn into John Wick chapter mm. four for two seconds mm-hmm. apart from obviously the absence of blood because it's Disney plus there's a little, bit, a of little blood. bit of blood but it's like you know like she's shooting and stabbing people point yeah. blank range she should be coated in claret she, yeah. she shot a guy in the face and then she stabbed a bunch of dudes also um Bucky threw pinning that guy with the with mm-hmm. the with the pole yeah. he threw that yeah. pole into that dude's shoulder yeah that was pretty intense probably learned that in Wakanda yeah, probably learned it from the Duramalaji. <laughs> he had a bit of fight training elsewhere as well, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> Any credit I can get to Wakanda this episode, yeah, you better fair, believe fair, I'm fair. doing it. <laughs> uh, well, that is the Wakandan in you as well. And right, well, on that note, on that note. Oh, oh I completely forgot. The top ten most punchable yeah. the top ten most punchable faces in the MCU. I completely yeah. forgot about this. Thank you. Thank you. Um so last week we had a question uh after John Walker, who are the nine who is numbers two to ten in the top ten most punchable faces in the MCU. We discussed it, but I don't think that we really properly gave it the oomph that it needs. Um so I asked Amon for his top ten. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, because apparently I forgot to ask Ben and Helen to do this as well. We're going to do their top tens uh, next week. Ben and Helen, get your top tens ready for next week. Amon, hit me. Number 10. And number 10, we have Star-Lord. Yeah, I think think there's a line of people uh, who want to punch that dude in the face, and he kind of deserves it to a point. At number nine, we have Eric Savin from Iron Man 3. At uh, number okay. eight, we have Trevor Slattery, also from Iron Man 3. Whoa! Yes. Whoa. He was the toast of Croydon. <laughs> for me, when he started doing all this Trevor Slattery, but I mean, I, I've spoken to you about like the, the Iron Man 3 twist doesn't really... I, I appreciated the fact that I was surprised. I didn't like what the surprise was. And for me, so, when he so starts doing... <laughs> so you want to punch this pensioner in the face because you didn't like the twist? You monster. He just, I just want him to shut. Wow. I, yeah. yeah. I'm just, sorry, I'm just going to make my list of the top 10 most punchable faces on the uh, Empire podcast. Oh. Let me just see. And, uh, I've, got, I've got a brand new number three. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's someone above you. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, yes. Number seven. Number, number seven. seven Who is it? We've got Davin Cross from Ant-Man. Good call. But it's such a, it's such a good face. I mean... <laughs> No, bad. It, it's a good face. It's a good face, but he's already wanted to punch Chris Pratt, who has an excellent face. That's so fair. I don't right. know what's going on here. Uh, clearly, this is not an aesthetic thing. This is more of a sort of how it makes you feel, right? There's a number of people on this list who are bold as well. Uh, I've, I realized as I was doing it and just like, yeah, no, me. It's like, <laughs> hey. Yeah. All Seven? right. You want to punch Tony and Guy. Uh, number six. And number six, we got Yon Rog. 
Captain Marvel, played by Jude yeah, Law. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, very punchable face. Should be uh, higher, but okay. Again, a very handsome punchable face, though. You're like you're like um, you're like Edward Norton in Fight Club. You want to destroy something beautiful. <laughs> I mean, no, we just want to punch somebody punchable. Like that's fair. <laughs> uh, at number five, we've got Senator Stern, that Hydra loving mm-hmm. minx. Mm. Um, ah. Yeah. Uh, at four, uh, we've got James Dyer. I mean Thanos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Only four. Wow. Uh, at number three, Tyler Hayward. Ugh, that guy. Oh, of course that he's guy. called Tyler. <laughs> At number two, Jasper Shitwell. Uh, I mean, Sitwell. Um, Whoa! Whoa, <laughs> but fair, but fair. First, yeah. you take him down with a bit of wordplay, make him feel bad about his name, and then you punch him in the face. Yeah. And I tell you what, I'm on. That does sit well with me. Hey. <laughs> and at number one, to the surprise Drum of roll. no one. Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, John drum roll. Walker. All right. That's just, uh, okay. there's, a, there's a whole there line go. for that dude. But yeah. That's very exciting. I'm going to save my top 10 for, for later as well. Okay. Um, but Helen, Ben, get working on your top 10 list. That's good. Three episodes left. Three people. You know, Three fine. episodes left. Yeah. It's, a, it's all good. Uh, one a week. One a week. Uh, keep them, keep them, always keep them wanting more. That's what I say. On that note, that is it for this week's Falcon and the Winter Soldier spoiler special dissection. Join us next week for more Falls related fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. Uh, but until then, it is goodbye from Squadcast name. Boom, boom, boom. Now let me hear you say Ao. Ao. <laughs> no, but guys, I, I was just I was just saying Ben's name. I didn't actually oh, okay. want to call and response. I was just saying boom, boom, boom. Now let me hear you say Ao. Ao. It's impossible not to respond. It's not Damn, re- it. <laughs> Damn it! We could be here all week at this rate. It's Ben Travis. Goodbye. It is also goodbye from the smiling tiger himself, Mr. Amon Warman. <laughs> Peace. Peace indeed, my friend. Peace be unto you. Uh, it is goodbye from longing rusted furnace. No, she didn't activate. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Helen O'Hara. Boxcar, 17. Toodaloo. <laughs> what? Was Toodaloo on that list of words? <laughs> yes. But in Russian. And it's goodbye from me, from Simo to Hemo. Because mm-hmm. zero to hero, Simo to Hemo, but I don't mean like Hemo as in blood. <sighs> anyway, I'm off to Madripoor, <laughs> to the Princess Bar, and there I'm going to have a drink with a lovely fella. He's got a patch. He's five foot three. He's a goddamn mutant. The X Men are here. Confirmed on the Empire Podcast this week. The X Men have entered the Marvel Cinematic Universe. See you next week. Bye. Bye.